That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. David Miller, ND here with Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor as well. Thanks everybody for joining us today. How are you, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. Have, I know you are quite enthusiastic about what you wanted to bring to the table for our listeners today. Yeah. The ADHD is kicking in. Those tendencies <laughs> are kicking in hard. Um, it's okay. The The enthusiasm is appreciated. Nobody wants to listen to someone who doesn't care what they're, what they're talking about. Ooh, thanks. Yeah. Um, Quick check-in. How are you doing? What's going on with you? Do we really want to get into that? We yeah, do. a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm i just feeling in a, as as a practitioner, I'm feeling uh, like I'm, I'm stuck in a weird space lately. I think it's been kind of brewing for a while. Um, and I'm feeling, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I feel like there's a lot I think maybe this goes in line with what we've talked about before. Where it's like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yes, baby. And I think there's a certain level of that that's happening where this new information keeps coming into my consciousness and I don't really know how to integrate it with how to be my best version as a naturopath or how to articulate that to my clients to help them understand and how to put the piece of the puzzle together. Or for me, even for me to use that knowledge and try to integrate it more practically, I haven't quite figured that out. And I feel yeah. like my head's been spinning around those kinds of things. And I just need to chill out. <laughs> yeah, you probably just said like a kind of wisdom quantum leap, which happens right when you yeah. you realize how little you know, by knowing how much you know, I feel and like, oh, how did I how did I coin it to you? I said, I'm going through a naturopathic existential crisis, <laughs> which all the NDs out there who are listening can relate yeah. to. And if yeah. they can't, then I, I highly recommend one once in a while. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a good reality check because I think it's a testament to how much I want to be better for my clients. Yes. I just can't. We try it can't, hard. It can't be my undoing in the process. We try hard. 
We do. We do. We really we bring care. It. We bring it and we, we care. We care. I just want to ca- see I just want to see the best for people and it's just sometimes you're just It's like, hard. It's yeah. let's you know what? It's it's a hard job. It's a meaningful fun job, but my god, it's hard. Yeah. Um anyways, that's that's where I'm at. That's Michelle's truth truthful vulnerable moment. Meh. Uh, that girl. <laughs> okay, well, uh we also care about this podcast and I also care about um I want to share more about the stomach. Baha, uh-huh, believe it or not, Dave's going to talk about the stomach. Um, I love it. I love it because I love learning about the stomach more, the stomach proper, and how interesting of an organ it is, and how you're kind of unearthing all this new, really cool stuff about it. And I think it was often been kind of neglected or taken for granted. So I appreciate the new the new connections. Well, Thank you, you were, Dave. Yes, you're welcome. And I gave you a little taste. Well, we're going to talk about but you've been i was i was worried about talking about the stomach again because any any long-time listeners will know i've talked about it in uh i think in one episode entirely and i've touched on it on so many uh i was thinking maybe it was like you know how you're good friends with the gallbladder you're like a gallbladder whisperer and i was like okay do i is everything i see just stomach because i'm so much looking for stomach so i was feeling that when i did uh, a podcast i think i did a solo one a few weeks ago when uh, it was like visceral relationships um, that I found clinically relevant or whatever. And one of them I talked about was the link somehow between the stomach and the thyroid. And I was like, yeah. I don't know, is it anatomical? Like, is there, is there some, cause they're, they come from the same um, I think they both come from the same embryological tissue layer. So it's like, what's going on there. So I knew there was a relationship uh, because everyone I'm seeing with uh, some sort of autoimmune thyroid condition was having uh, when I, when I palpated the stomach, there was, there was some definite, uh, tensions sort of anatomically in the stomach region. Mm. So I knew there was something, but that's not good enough. Right. So anyway, I, I looked harder and what I've found in looking at the, in looking at the research is there's a lot of relationships, um, having to do with, uh, molecular mimicry between H pylori, um, and uh an autoimmune thyroid disease so molecular mimicry such a oh good, yeah such a good term i just threw that out like it was nothing eh <laughs> everybody knows what that means right you know <laughs> molecular mimics um i mean do you want to give your michelle's version of i, I can be nerdy you can be nerdy what do you want to do i mean your, I, your I version mean, will be more fun will it um I guess the, the 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 best way of looking at it is molecular mimicry is when one thing resembles one something that should not create a reaction in the body resembles something. So let's just say with the thyroid, um, this H. pylori resembles something that would otherwise activate the thyroid in a in a dysregulated way, um, and and because it resembles another component that would do the same thing. And that would be molecular mimicry, just like gluten is also molecular mimicry for autoimmune conditions for Hashimoto's and thyroid too, right? It, it triggers the same cascade of events like another molecule does basically. Yeah. Often and often the pathogen, right? Like, like, uh, like that's the thing. I think it's with the antigens now for the real hardcore nerds. I didn't go look at the specific antigen components of H pylori that are causing our immune system to go buck wild. And then in a case of mistaken identity or molecular mimicry, what Michelle was getting at there, go after the thyroid tissue itself. So 
Um, I wasn't going to go to that extent with this podcast. And it doesn't fit the nature of our podcast. I no, don't I don't think, I think it's still interesting for, for people when you, when you, if you put that term out there, people should understand what it means, but yeah. that's not the basis of what this talk is going to be about, but just so people are on the same, same page. Yeah. You need to know a little bit about what's going on. Basically. Yeah. Your, your body's going buck wild at something. It shouldn't maybe go as buck wild yeah. uh, for, and then it takes it out on something that looks like that thing. Yeah. 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 Not the best definition. I don't think either um, of us did a really bang up job on that one, but that's okay. Maybe somebody worse. will piece the piece the two between the two. <laughs> somebody will figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's normal for your body to react immunologically to an antigen. That's why it's called an antigen. It generates antibodies. Okay. That maybe that helps. So you you generate an immune response to that thing. That okay, cool. That makes sense. But now your body's generating an immune response to a tissue and like being really, really uh, aggressive towards tissues like your thyroid that don't deserve it. Um, we're trying. Look, guys, we're trying here with molecular mimicry. Right? Should I go like Webster Dictionary? This thing? No. Let's carry. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Well, the point is, there there was a relationship there, and I was pretty sure it was there uh, because I, you know, I I was pretty sure it was there. Um, so hold I on, knew. a quick question. Yeah, go what, what made you think that there was a connection there? What was it that was starting to lead you in that direction before you found more some, something more validating for that? Uh, yeah, palpating. So, so people come in usually knowing they have uh, some sort of thyroid issue mm -hmm. or, or we find it, naturopaths will find it pretty quick uh, with some lab testing, right? Because it's fairly well. Um, I mean, you can, you can test a thyroid panel fairly easily. And, and like I said, a lot of people come in knowing that they have some autoimmune thyroid right. issue. Is that, is that your experience? Well, they just don't feel well and nobody can seem to figure it out. They don't always know they have some kind That's of all your people. Thing. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> no, but it's, it, uh, a lot of them just have the classic symptoms of thyroid. So for me, it's just a matter of let's rule it out. Let's make sure there isn't an antibody component exactly. an autoimmune component rather than just running TSH, which really shows you one piece of a puzzle of many pieces yes. Um, to do a more complete investigation to make sure there isn't an autoimmune component. That would be exactly. my approach. And if it's, and if it's all clear, great. What other, what, what other things have we unearthed? Right. But I think yeah. it's always good to just do that as part of an initial screen for like those typical low thyroid kind of symptoms or hyperthyroid symptoms. I feel like thyroid gets a lot more uh, press or, or like people are the, the average person or the, the, um, the mean <laughs> understanding of the thyroid is better than, uh, let's say, the the gallbladder or uh, the pancreas or whatever. So, um, I find what you said is true, but also I get people coming in knowing they're like, I got some thyroid issue. My doctor found it. Bam. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would I think, do a physical I, exam on that. Sorry, go on. No. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people are a little bit more attuned to what are symptoms of thyroid issues. Or not everybody really understands like what's a gallbladder issue. Um, yeah. Or like, you know, they don't maybe know exactly what's going on with like their, their spleen. Yeah. Right. That's a weird um, one. <laughs> I know it is. And it's, it's actually, I still find it uh, hard to work with, but um, the, uh, the thing with thyroid, which is probably what makes it on people's mind is it's energy a lot of the time, right? Low energy is weight gain, makes your life fatigue. Suck. Yeah. These things yeah. suck royally. To those they, who have they them, they really do. So I think that's part of partly why it gets uh, more press. Anyway, I would do my physical exam of the abdomen on 
these people as I would with all my people who come. And I just found, wow, there's something going on with the stomach here, like in this person, and whether it's the pylorus or the, the fundus, but the different parts of the stomach, I'd, I'd palpate the stomach and, and there would definitely be some sort of restrictions or osteopathic uh, yeah, restrictions or uh, issues there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and you don't always trust your hands when you're new to it. But once you get to trust your hands, it's, it's really like, it's quite a reliable tool, I find. And then I just, I thought, okay, am I just, again, am I still being like crazy, Dave, focused on only visceral manipulation, focused only on the stomach? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. The core, but the part of why I was thinking that too, is you get a lot of thyroid patients. You got a lot, I got a lot of people with stomach issues. So I thought I just decided to search PubMed for thyroid and, um, and stomach. What'd you find Dave? And I found, uh, evidence showing that, uh, many high prevalence of people with autoimmune thyroid conditions, and this does include Graves and uh, Hashimoto's. There may be more. I don't want to say that only it's autoimmune thyroid of those two specific diagnoses, but there was a very high prevalence of H. pylori uh, detected, uh, I think at least 67% in Graves or Hashimoto's, I forget, but it's very high. I would think uh, more Hashimoto's because that's actually just far more prevalent in general as a, as a condition. Yeah, I would say Hashimoto's I see a lot more than Graves but I the, the I had a woman in with Graves uh this week and I think she she uh is what made me really solidify this because I was I was palpating the uh, sorry the stomach I was palpating the stomach with my right hand and I, I could because what you can do with this kind of um uh investigation with your hands from osteopathic perspective is you can palpate other tissues and see if it increases or decreases the restriction or, or, um, palpation, uh, sense in the hand when you touch other tissues. Mm. So I touched her thyroid and she's like, Oh, my stomach feels more. I took it off. goes down. I touched her thyroid. So cool. Yeah. So it's, I mean, look, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's still another layer of, of kind of like data to work with. So I was like, okay, there's, it it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to, to add to the collection of information that you have that completes a picture. That's all. It just confirms or corroborates what you're. Yeah. And I felt it in my hands. And, and, uh, when she said she could feel it, I was like, okay, there's, there's something going on there. That's cool. Um, it was really cool. And then, so I just looked, looked it up and I found all that information on, uh, possibly antigens in helicobacter, uh, which you brought up some good points about uh, when we were chatting before is that H. pylori is in most of us. I think it's commensal yeah. in most people. I yeah, I believe yeah, but in some people it goes a bit buck wild, and and maybe the antigens are are just responded to in a really uh, hyperactive immune response, and then um, that le- that molecular mimicry happens where the body then uh, attacks the the thyroid tissue. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that whole germ theory versus terrain theory, right? Because if everybody has a certain level of exactly. H. pylori, why are some people more vulnerable? And I can't get enough of that. Become there. a problem, and we're so we're so preoccupied by germ theory that we're not really thinking about terrain theory nearly enough. And it's probably far more important because a lot of people and we and we also talk. I was bringing this up in our pre-talk is just like there's a lot of bugs in our body that are commensal 
to a certain point, and then they become pathogenic if there's an overgrowth because there was some sort of vulnerability that allowed the microbiome to be thrown off, like candida and yeast, E. coli, H. pylori. Like those are all things that are natural part of most uh, of the human existence, and we should be able to work with them, not necessarily have them work against us. So mm -hmm. why is it that some people are more vulnerable, myself included, right? Like I went through a shit show with my digestive system and, and it's, I still have to beg the question as to like, why did everything fall apart so hard? And unfortunately it's not always just a linear, this, this is no, the reason it's, it's usually more, uh, multifactorial, but, uh, same thing with the H. pylori. Why did it become problematic? And they might not, like, I don't even know if these people would have had overt digestive GERD, stomach acid, gastritis symptoms that you're seeing that have, that end up with thyroiditis. And there might not be that cause and effect where it's like they get a huge H. pylori infection and they get this. I know who was it? Melissa Ramos. She, I get struggles with Hashimoto's. And I remember through her journey, at one point she had a, she had a weird H. pylori infection and it was already well after her diagnosis of Hashimoto's and she had to fan the flames of that down or like calm the flames of that mm -hmm. down. So I don't know if it was just low grade and it was part of the immune system getting dysregulated and it wasn't even like a full on infection before. I don't, I don't know the timeline. So sometimes I wonder like, well, I don't Back know. to what you're saying, terrain theory, maybe she just has some predisposition of one of her multiple sort of uh, things that keep everything in some delicate balance that that was off. And then the H. pylori yeah. is like, all right, I'll have yeah. a bit of that. The thing is, is I think with any autoimmune condition, the problem with a lot of things is that in the medical community, they want to shut down the immune system, but they're not treating the things that are aggravators to the immune system in the first place. And I understand from a, from a person feeling symptom wise, a little bit more supported sometimes giving anti like like immunosuppressants helps them feel a little bit more supported in their day-to-day -day, but it's leaving vulnerabilities for other things especially if you haven't taken care of what were the insulting factors in the first place that allowed yeah. the immune system to just go off kilter um yeah. but but uh it's interesting so i feel like there's always a there's a multitude of things that can just like set your immune system into a raging fire and cause an autoimmune condition. And yeah, they, might be, and they might be low grade issues that you didn't even realize because you didn't, ex you didn't experience the digestive discomfort or the whatever you would have expected to because of a parasite or because of yeah. mold or because of H. pylori or whatever. And there may be some place I'll say for those who are maybe more open to it. Um, there may be a place for kind of like no sods and, uh, and using uh, some homeopathic uh, dilution discussion of of the uh, whatever the infectious uh, thing was that set things off. I I did I did that with a woman who who it's harder when you don't know the infectious agent. In, in this case, it it might make for those clinicians out there, or if you're just trying to listen for yourself and you have you know thyroid issues and you know you had a, issues with your stomach in the past. Um, it might be worthwhile to use some H. pylori uh, if you know you've been ex exposed to it in a in a no sod form. But I have used it in the past um, when I knew that a woman was exposed to Campylobacter, mm. and that definitely helped her. That definitely helped her. And I I don't use that kind of style of homeopathy. I'm sure some people are, you know, turned off by homeopathy, but uh, whatever, that's fine. Um, I mean, to each their own. Yeah. 
but you, you might look, be you, you, might, some... you, might, you might be ignoring a really a really advantageous piece I'd of the puzzle. You're likely ignoring it, is what I'd say. And uh, anyway, it it seemed to help her a lot. So I'm wondering down the line if I'll be uh, looking at uh, sort of no sodes of H uh, H pylori to to improve outcomes with thyroid uh, conditions of autoimmune origin and uh, stomach issues. Now. That... See, that would be interesting. Uh, do you do you know of H. pylori nosodes? They exist. So I was looking at it this morning. Um, I was because just throwing... I have some, I just, I just recently got a client and it's, it's a, a young, young kid. Um, and in one of the types of tests that I use, H. pylori, um, we're going to know it came up and I was like, well, that's super interesting, yeah. but I can't give him big capsules. Like I usually would have like Pyplex or Gastromend or something. Cause this kid's like three years old. He can't swallow yeah. capsules, but he's got like crazy digestive issues. Yeah. So I need to figure out an alternative. So we are working on some of the other stuff. Cause I do have homeopathic drops to work on those. And kids are so vibrant. They, do, they, they respond really to homeopathics well, well, but I don't have something for H pylori. So yeah don't tell health canada because they probably won't like that so um but but there's ways to get these things um wink wink riverdale homeopathy sure you wanted to say that on on air <laughs> i don't care no um so but what i will share is um so i've I've talked about um i mean some of the basics always work for for stomach in terms of like getting on base, I say, like getting some help with the stomach, you're always going to get some help with some uh, form of demulsant. So that's always good. But what I like to talk about is um, a couple of my favorite homeopathics, which I keep here. Um, I keep here in the, I'm in the clinic right now. And uh, I have office trial doses of several homeopathics, um, two of which are Robinia pseudoacacia, which I've talked about before as my sort mm -hmm. of go-to tropic uh, remedy for the stomach and natrium carbonicum shake, shake. These are what I'm using a lot for anyone who's sitting in my office chair and has any sort of, if they have symptoms when they're here of any kind of stomach dysfunction, whether it's uh, just really um, epigastric bloating, if there's burning, if there's any regurg, if there's like nausea, if they got that gnawing appetite, got that interscapular tightness between the shoulder blades, um, all the stomach signs. I get them to try uh, a dose of 30C, uh, 30CH of Natrium Carbonicum or Robinia Pseudoacacia um, to see if that alleviates their symptoms. Um, if it's a good prescription, it will work in less than five or 10 minutes. And in my last, because uh, I've got a chart note on Jane for in-office uh, dosing of homeopathics. In my last five, probably five or six, everyone has responded to either Natrium Carbonicum or Robinia Pseudoacacia, every single person. Question. Um, so yeah. so let's just say you, you within five, 10 minutes will notice a difference. And if they don't notice the difference to one, will you just give them the next one? Or do you just wait yes. a little bit of period of time? You got it. Because it it is like that within, within 10 minutes. If there's no result, you try, you try. I just option, accept it as a two. loss. Yeah. I, <laughs> I accept it as a loss. And I say, let's try this other one. And um, I, I believe it's probably, if it's not the last six, I think five out of the last six, I forget. It's very close to um, everyone in the last five or six has responded to one of them. And 
you know, I've said Robinia is the stomach remedy in the past. And as of today, June 16th, uh, 2022, I'm, I'm seeing um, Natrium Carbonicum uh, helping maybe even more. Um, and, and in cases that I would not have suspected uh, it to help uh, because uh, these people have had many, a few of them have had hiatal hernia. Oh, because I have some, you know, oh, you know what? I do have a follow-up with a client tomorrow and maybe I can recommend. The only thing is, is like, usually they're using things. Oh, maybe Smith's, Smith's pharmacy. I don't know. I got to think about this because I often use for my virtual clients, I'm using full script and I know Robinia is not on there because I have looked. Um, so. Yeah, it's not a, it's not common, but Natrium Carb probably would be. I have to see. Yeah, because and, there is a hiatal hernia part of the picture there too, which is contributing to um, persistent reflux, regardless of even standard medical treatment and my own. And like some of mine has reduced it a little bit, but um, standard medical treatment she doesn't want so much because she doesn't want the consequences and side effects because it also interacts with some of the other medications she's taking. So I need to find an alternative. That's I need to put that on my radar right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's one I would feel less confident. Like if I if someone's got GERD or or just sort of like heartburn of uh, unknown sort of etiology, that yeah, I, meaning it's not a structural compromise of the diaphragm uh, stomach. Maybe that's more likely to respond. But I've seen people with known hiatal hernia responding to this, so I know in some cases to it nat, can be nat carb. Yeah, mm. specifically nat carb. I haven't seen as much with Robinia. So um, these these are things I think if you treat people with stomach issues, which if you're treating people with health issues, you're probably treating people with stomach issues. um, Keep them in the office and, and uh, you should know within five or 10 minutes, this isn't, this is contrary to like all the homeopathic training I ever got, by the way. So I just do this because I have, a, I guess what I'm, I have a high standard for things working in homeopathic uh, medicine for acute physical symptoms. I also give, so this, uh, I should say, I'm not going to, the other way of doing homeopathy, the more like uh, constitutional is amazing too. That the woman I'm talking about with Graves disease, mm-hmm. everything got worse when her mom died. Mm-hmm. So guess what remedy she got? CPR? Nat, no. Nat Muir for Nat her, Muir. her. Yeah. The, the CP chronic. is another grief remedy though, isn't it? It's they're related. Thinking? They're yeah, very, okay. they're very, very often uh, related, but Nat Muir is like a grief remedy. And then Muriaticum. And if you follow some of the more uh, new age homeopathic uh, learning, Muriaticum has to do with the mother a lot. So it was like perfect in that sort of sense. She did amazing with that, but it didn't address some of the other symptoms. Like it alleviated some deep stuff. Uh, and that maybe is not precise enough for some of you out there, but that I'll tell you what, that patient doesn't, doesn't give a crap about what you think about that. If you don't like As if it, they're feeling better. They don't care. They don't care. She's like that lifted, <laughs> that lifted a massive emotional weight for her. Awesome. So that's cool. But I do. So a different kind, I, I shift gears for a different kind of homeopathy, which is right now I have indigestion, bloating, burpee, burning, take Robinia no dice, take nat carb, boom, five minutes. I feel better. If you feel better in five minutes, man, you're onto something. And so 
you know, sell that remedy for 10 bucks and make someone very happy. I mean, if only it was that simple for everything else. I know. Like, why wouldn't you just love something that that's just like so not complicated and I know. not expensive? Like, it's so lovely and fast and fast. There's so many, there's so many amazing attributes uh, about homeopathy when it's done let's say right for lack of a better word and and also like nil negative side effects it either works or it doesn't boom yeah <laughs> yeah exactly you don't, you don't have to worry about like this medication interacting with this medication and possibly causing us like, no it's not like taking a blood pre- like a heart met, um a ppi and starting to worry about like your body's ability to absorb iron calcium b vitamins getting possible gastrointestinal polyps and like whatever else comes up from like these like ppis like no rubinia one and done if it doesn't work yeah cool, no sweat and it's i mean dihydral hernia is really like, what else are you that. gonna do what yeah. else you can tell me i mean outside of working with an osteopath if it's not too severe i know some people can help structurally but i don't think that that's as common as i would love it to be for that for people to be able to get the structural relief i don't think you're going to see a lot of doctors recommending surgery for hiatal hernia and by the way um the 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 people <clears throat> at the Baral institute the people um so meaning like the teachers they say that there's about 60 percent of people over 60 have a hiatal hernia yes you heard that correctly that's a lot of people so hiatal hernia is way more common than than people think and maybe it gets lumped under you know the gross category of heartburn or whatever but if there's regurgitation especially or you have problems lying down uh with like you know your symptoms get worse when lying down and other sort of uh, issues where you feel tight around where people say, oh, I hurt all around here. And they'll point to exactly where their diaphragm is. Well, your diaphragm is structurally compromised. So it makes sense. Like there's those people listen hard and you might be actually uh, seeing people who have hiatal hernia, not just like some reflux or GERD. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to treat. And so keep these remedies in mind for it. But um yeah, there's there's something there's something there with natrium carbonicum and hiatal hernia. Worth like a it. shot. And it is worth a shot. You know, there, there's there's not gonna be any harm with that, right? So exactly. Anyways, I mean, I love that you brought this up. I love that we created some new connections, maybe for people to think about this is um causes for autoimmune conditions, specifically for thyroiditis and Hashimoto's, possibly Graves and the relationship to the stomach itself and um, a possible underlying H. pylori infection mm-hmm. as either a contributing factor, an aggravator, or one of the root causes that stimulated the immune system to go haywire in the first exactly. place. Exactly. And all the, all the while, like Michelle said, you're going to be treating the terrain. Uh, this isn't, this is not like just as is that a lot of time um but yeah well i'll keep you posted i will keep you posted on the evolution of my understanding of h pylori the stomach and the thyroid um and maybe the uh, the uh limitations let's say of the application of these homeopathics but um yeah i I think i'm on to something there and i hope yeah i hope people can sort of integrate that in their practice and get get those homeopathics for acute use in your office um yeah. if you're a practitioner 
Yeah, I know. Do it. I need to. I'm gonna. I'm literally gonna get off this call and like message my my reception. And be like, hey, can we order these? Finally, it's only, to, taken, she, it's only taken. It's only taken. Me it's only taken months to, to finally it. get on top of it. <laughs> I finally cool. heating the call, Dave. Yes. All right. Heed the call. Wrap it up, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For heating the call of that <laughs> naturopathic podcast. <laughs> That Naturopathic Podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient-focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high-quality, naturopathic doctor-designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.